Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Friday, August 19th, we're studying Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 1 to 22. Moses reminds Israel that despite their rebellion, the Lord spared them on account of Moses' intercession. In that grace of the Lord, Moses calls the generation on the cusp of the promised land to now fear the Lord, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve him, and to keep his commandments. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor James Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks. It's good to be here. As we get started today, Pastor Preuss, let's talk a little context. What should we know about the book of Deuteronomy and what Moses has been saying leading up to chapter 10? Well, you readers probably already know that Deuteronomy uh, uh, means literally second law. Uh, so this is taking place. Uh, on the eastern side of the Jordan River, the land of Moab, 40th year in the 11th month of Israel wandering through the wilderness. So you would have uh, learned that the first chapter of the book. And he's going through the law again uh, for these people. Uh, this would be, you, you have pretty much almost the entire generation that uh, who's old over the age 20 at the time of the Exodus crossing through the Red Sea has died. And as you remember, they all die even Moses and Aaron, uh, except for Caleb and Joshua. They're the only ones who are adults at the time of the exodus. Uh, so this is a, a generation that has spent the past 40 years in the wilderness, and, uh, and, and yet the, the older ones among them did indeed witness the exodus. Uh, they were younger at the time, and, uh, and they also witnessed many other mighty works that the Lord has done. And what we're getting at last chapter uh, Moses was talking about the episode with the golden half, which is definitely a low point in the time of Israel. Uh, this is, you know, directly after God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, and then he sends him to, uh, Moses back down to see what the people are doing. And here they are worshiping a golden calf that Aaron had built. And uh, God then says he's just going to wipe them out, and Moses has to intercede for them. So we're left off the end of chapter nine. Moses uh, is reasoning with God, saying, "You know, remember your promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and also if you destroy them here, then you know Egypt's going to hear about it, and they're going to say, oh, it's because the Lord could not bring them out; it was too much for him, and that's why he killed them in the wilderness." Uh, so, you know, Moses uh, pretty much uh, he. he he pits God's word against God in a good way, uh, where he says, this is your promise. You can't break your promise. And also, this is going to make you look bad, uh, which, as, although it kind of sounds funny, it is something that God is concerned about in Scripture. 
frequently says, you know, for my name's sake, uh, he, he wants his name to look good. And this isn't purity thing, uh, but it's for the sake of his holiness and, and good. Uh, so it worked. And uh, this whole chapter is really about how Moses' intercession works and how the Lord is going to continue to be uh, faithful to them and that he's exhorting them to be faithful to him. All right, so let's go ahead and, and take a look at the first part of chapter 10. We're reading from Deuteronomy chapter 10. I'm going to go through verse 11. At that time, the Lord said to me, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like first and come up to me on the mountain and make an ark of wood. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets that you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood and cut two tablets of stone like the first and went up the mountain with the two tablets in my hand. And he wrote on the tablets in the same writing as before, the 10 commandments that the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark that I had made. And there they are as the Lord commanded me. The people of Israel journeyed from Beiroth Bene Yakan to Moserah. There Aaron died, and there he was buried. And his son Eleazar ministered as priest in his place. From there they journeyed to Gudgada, and from Gudgada to Jotbata, a land with brooks of water. At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless in his name to this day. Therefore, Levi has no portion or inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, as the Lord your God said to him. I myself stayed on the mountain, as at the first time, forty days and forty nights, and the Lord listened to me that time also. The Lord was unwilling to destroy you. And the Lord said to me, Arise, go on your journey at the head of the people, so that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Takes us through verse 11 of Deuteronomy chapter 10. Pastor Price, I think you said in the introduction that this is, Moses is is recounting for the people how his prayer, I'm putting this air quotes, it quote, worked, that the Lord listened, which he does say there in verse 10, that the Lord listened to him. How does the, the matter of God telling Moses to cut two more tablets, how does that show that the Lord listened to Moses' prayer? Well, it, it, it right away it shows that God is not done with them. Moses's prayer is in response to God saying that He's going to wipe out Israel. And you know, I'm not saying that, and and Moses isn't saying that God, you know, can be manipulated or that God changes or anything like that. Uh, but there is an interaction that we have with God that God has with His people, and of course, God knows what He's going to do before He does. But all that being said. God says he's going to wipe out the people of Israel. Uh, Moses intercedes for them, uh, basing that primarily on God's promise, which is always how we, and then God tells him to put up two pieces of stuff so and rewrite this, uh, the, the covenant. So the fact that he tells him to do this means that he's not done with being that God. Another big thing to point out is, you know, in our ESV translation and, and the way most of our Bibles translate it, it says the Ten Commandments. And we're very familiar with this because we learn the Ten Commandments by heart as children. It's in our, ten, it's in our small catechism, the first chief part of the, of the of Luther's small catechism. And we learn, you know, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. What does this mean? Fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And then it goes on from there. 
Uh, however, the Ten Commandments are not numbered in Exodus 20, where they are first given to us. And uh, they're not called the Ten Commandments. Uh, it says Ten Commandments here in, in this translation, but it's actually in the Hebrew, it's the Ten Words. So there's, you know, the listeners are probably familiar with the fact that there are different numberings of the Ten Commandments. I mean, not that long ago as uh, it, it, it has statues or, or plaques outside of courtrooms and, and schools. And often you'd have the fifth commandment was uh, honor your father and your mother. And we Lutherans were like, well, I thought that's the fourth commandment. And be, it, because they would say, well, the first commandment is you shall have no other gods. The second commandment is you shall not make for yourself great an image. And then it gets, it's different from there. And then at the end, they'll have you shall not covet your neighbor's house and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, etc. as one commandment. Well, actually, if you look at these as 10 words instead of 10 commandments, uh, the first word of the 10 commandments is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of, uh, I, the Lord your God, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Uh, so the first word isn't a commandment at all, but it's a proclamation of who God is and what he has done for them. Uh, it's actually, I mean, if we're going to say, make the distinction between law and gospel, it's a gospel state. So what God is having Moses write down after Moses pleads on behalf of people is to write down this covenant, the first word of which declares that the Lord is their God and that he rescued them and delivered them from slavery. Uh, so uh, it very much shows that he intends to be their God. And then also the fact that he puts it into the ark. Uh, and you learn in, uh, in Exodus, when they're building the ark, that on top of the ark was the mercy seat. And the mercy seat is where the Lord himself dwells between the cherubim. Uh, so the ark is the presence of God. So everything that he says in just these first few verses is, before he even says it, was it in verse in verse 10, where he says, he listens to you. Well, the, from the very beginning, they already know that he's listened because he has made it very clear that he's going to be with them. Mm. I appreciate you pointing out the, the matter that these are, you know, the 10 words or the Decalogue. Some of that's just an easier way of saying it. it literally means 10 words. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the first one is that, you know, I am the Lord your God. Uh, I find that significant because in chapter 9, as Moses was recounting the golden calf incident, Moses recorded how the Lord had said there on Mount Sinai to Moses, you know, go down quickly from here for your people whom you brought from Egypt have acted corruptly. Uh, Moses, as you mentioned, you know, played that as he uh, played on that as he was praying at the end of chapter nine, no Lord, these are your people. And now the Lord is acknowledging that fact by including that first word here on these tablets. Yeah, exactly. And, And that's exactly what the Lord wanted Moses to do. I think that's why God said your people. He wanted Moses to say, well, they're your people. Uh, that's, right. that's what God wants us to It's kind of like uh, uh, the Canaanite woman, you know, the Saphonician woman and Jesus. And Jesus says, you know, it's not good to uh, take the children's bread and go to the dogs. And, you know, she calls herself the dog. She doesn't let him say no. Uh, she, she catches the thing in his word. Uh, Luther makes a big point of that. And I think right here, Moses is catching, uh, the Lord and his work got, and that's what he wants to do. 
Mm. So as as chapter 10 continues, then the God promises that he's going to write on the tablets the the words that that he spoke. There's there's two tablets. How many how many copies are we talking about here? Yeah, so we'd be the two tablets, the idea would be that there would be a copy of the covenant tablet. So they're written on both sides of it. So I don't know, we Lutherans we like to have like three commandments on one tablet and the seven on the other to show the the two tables of the law. I'm not really sure how uh, how many they, they fit, but the reason there would be two is because when you make a covenant between two people, each of them get a copy of the contract. Uh, so this is God's copy and Israel's copy, and they're both kept in the ark where, of course, the Lord promises to be present. Uh, so it's a, again, it's, it's emphasizing very, very strongly that this isn't just simply binding people of Israel to these, which is how we often think of the commandments, but it bind, it's God binding himself to the people of Israel as, as his people and him being their father. Uh, it, I mean, it's kind of like two wedding rings. Yeah, that, I think that's a that's a good image, and I, I appreciate you know making sure we understand that because you're right. Most I think Christian art does have the two tablets side by side, three on one, seven on the other, sometimes five and five, uh, and but really front and back on both, two copies, one for each party, but both kept there in the ark because the Lord is going to dwell there with His people. Now, with this ark, which does figure prominently in the the first couple of verses of the chapter, Moses says that that he made the ark. When you read the book of Exodus, there's a craftsman named there who makes the ark. This is one of those places where someone might say, oh, look, there's a contradiction. How, how do we understand how Moses talks about him making the ark in Deuteronomy 10? Yeah, I mean, it's not a contradiction. These contradictions, I was actually reading um, the, the, the one of the most recent uh, Lutheran witnesses. I think everyone should read that. It talks about contradictions in the Bible. Uh, what's it, is a guy's name, William Arndt, who talks about that. And the first or I think it's the second article in, in the issue of Luther Witness after Matt Harrison has his uh, 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 article. It has an excerpt from that book. And uh, he gives these, he gives the definition of what a contradiction is. And I, I wish I had it in front of me. I could, I could read it. That's all right. Uh, listen, the listeners, if you don't have a subscription to Luther Witness, Luther Witness, or go to church and be in your narc and, and read Hart's article on on what a contradiction actually is. Uh, this isn't a contradiction. It's kind of like saying Solomon built the temple. Well, did Solomon actually lay down the stone? I mean, nobody's going to say that it's a contradiction if they name some other builders who built the temple. Um, uh, Solomon still is the one who, who built the temple. So there are a couple of ways that people will try to explain this. One is to say that, uh, Bezalel, or Bezalel, uh, is the one who said to have built it in Exodus chapter 37, uh, and Exodus 31, you have Bezalel, uh, instead of Uri, and then you have, uh, okay, well, he's the one who, who built a number of things. And then you have Apoliab, uh, who, who also is, is helping to build. So those are the two craftsmen. So it could be Moses is saying, you know, I built this the way Solomon built the temple. Another way of saying it is that it, it's possible that Moses himself did build an ark. Uh, uh, Bezalel built a better one later. That was more permanent. But either way, it's very easy to explain. Uh, and I don't think it's something that we can so. Sure. And, and that's, I think, the reason why it's, it's at least worth pointing out that when when 
people do throw in the to the face of Christians these quote contradictions, these supposed contradictions that no, they're not actually contradictions, and there's a very easy way of understanding what the scriptures are saying to it. As as you as you mentioned, yeah, and, and as the did, as the text moves into, oh yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just, I did a poor job of summarizing what some aren't that's uh, but one one point made was you know it has to be a contradiction in every sense. So that, that's one of the things is, you know, is it the same time? Is it the same place? Is it the same person? Is it the same sense in which all of these things, uh, they can't be both true at the same And you could say that Moses built the ark and that, uh, Bezalel built the ark and they could both be true if you're understanding it either in a different sense. As in Moses had it, which is a perfectly fine wilderness, and that's still true. It's a different sense. Or you could have a, a different time in which Moses built one part and Bezalel built enough. So that was. But read the article anyway. It's a it's a good article. Found it really helpful. That's right. If you're not subscribed to the Lutheran Witness, get a subscription today, or check out the one that that hopefully your church has in the Church Narthex. It's a it's a fantastic resource for the for the Christian. As the as the text moves into to verse six in the ESV, the the text from verses six to verse nine is set off in parentheses, and and there it does seem to be that there's something slightly different happening in verses six to nine. When you look at what's in verses one to five and then verses 10 to 11, for, for one thing, Moses speaks about the people of Israel rather than saying like you, he speaks in third person instead right. of, of second person. Uh, what What's happening in those parenthetical verses, at least in the ESV? Yeah, well, I guess by name, one, it could be, you know, this is, you know, this, this is something that's been said, this, this chapter we've, that we're going through today. Uh, this is part of a very long speech or sermon that Moses is giving to the people of Israel, but it's also a book. So it could be that in the book, you have this parenthetical statement that's for the reader, but wasn't actually said by Moses to the, the great assembly. Uh, the other explanation is that it is a parenthetical statement that Moses himself said to the people at that time. And uh, the changing persons from you, which is what he uses previously, then afterward, uh, to then say you talking about Israel, uh, is just him changing, changing it up a bit, maybe to emphasize that this is a parenthetical statement, uh, in, oh, by the way, uh, or just simply to, for, for variation. So I don't think it's a big deal either way, because this book was written for the people of Israel. So it wasn't just spoken once. It was spoken with the intention that it would be written down. When it was written down, whether it was before or after or during and given the speech at all. Uh, and, uh, and for it to be continued to be read by the people of Israel uh, until, until the end. So with this parenthetical statement, as it's marked off in the ESV, and what is given there, we, we move in time quite a ways here. Moses has had us at Mount Sinai. Now he, he takes us forward in time. He mentioned some some places. What What is the journey that he describes here? Right. Well, Israel is wandering in the wilderness. And the reason for this is, is their, uh, their disobedience and not invading when they were first told to, uh, when the 12 spies came back, uh, from their expedition 
And if you remember, uh, you add Caleb and Joshua, who end up being the only ones who do enter into the, the Holy Land. They say, the Lord's with us, let's go. The other 10 spies say, no, no, no. The land of ours, the, uh, of its people and their giants, and you know, we shouldn't go. So then the Lord punches them with 40 years. So they, they make this circuit. And uh, the, it's, this is repeated a number of times in scripture. One of the places is in Numbers chapter 33, but it gives a, kind of a backwards order for a couple of the places. So uh, Baroth, Bene, Jacan, uh to Moserah, that's what it says uh, here in Deuteronomy. But in in Numbers, it says that they go from Moserah to Bene, Jacan. So uh, why, why does it have that? Is, that? is that another contradiction? And probably the explanation there would be just simply that they went to these places a couple of times here, kind of on a circuit. So it depends. I mean, Moses is condensing a pretty large, uh, a, a, a pretty long period of time in those couple sentences. Uh, if you notice, he mentions that Aaron dies. Well, Aaron doesn't die right after the golden calf incident. He dies uh, almost 40 years later, right? So, uh, uh, it's kind of a condensed, uh, a condensed summary of, of what they were, of, of their wander. So we have the, the condensed summary of their wandering. We have the, the death of Aaron, his son, Eliezer taking over more of the, these places that are named. There's also information on the tribe of Levi in these verses. What is, what's said about the tribe of Levi here? Well, all, all of that is connected with, with Aaron. Um, I mean, Aaron dying is a judgment against Aaron. The reason why Aaron dies instead of going into the land of Canaan and dying or going to Palestine dying is because he was joined in the sin of Moses when he uh, struck the rock at Meribah instead of speaking with it. So if you remember, Moses struck the rock twice. The first time because the Lord told him to strike the rock and water gushed forth. The second time, God told Moses to speak to the rock. Moses didn't speak to the rock. He didn't believe the Lord. He struck the rock and rebuked people. Water gushed forth and God says, okay, well, you and Mo you, Moses and Aaron are not going to go into the land. Also, which is a huge thing to remember, is Aaron is the one who built the golden calf, right? So for Aaron to yeah. die yeah. is, I mean, that's something that you would expect. I mean, and, and you'd also expect it to happen immediately after uh, the golden calf incident, not like this, what seems like kind of a minor transgression compared to the golden calf thing, right? Uh, but even in Aaron's death, this isn't Aaron being cast off forever. The Lord raises up his son, uh, uh, his son Eliezer, to be priest after him, uh, and a chief priest, and uh, of the people, people of Levi. So uh, Aaron, their uh, sister uh, Miriam, are Levites. Levi had three sons, Sia, Gershon, Merari, and then these three sons become three clans. So Aaron and Moses, Kohathite clan. And they're given three different uh, tasks as Levites, uh, just in serving the temple. And you can read about that in, in Numbers chapter 3, where, you know, you have some who take care of the curtains, others take care of uh, the rods and others take care of the, uh, holy instrument and furniture and such. Uh, but, uh, 
So those are the lead mites. Those are the ones who are in service until they are, uh, I believe it's 50, uh, five years old is when they are, are retired. The Levites are different. Uh, the Levites are only descendants. The high priest would be then the descendant of, of the high, high priest normal. Uh, so he gives these three tasks of the Levites. You have the carrying of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, you have the standing before the Lord to minister to him. And then uh, finally, the, the blessing uh, the people in the name of the Lord. The first one would be the only non-priestly task, the carrying of the Ark. And that would fall under the Kohathites. Although it, uh, it's kind of, you know, uh, part and parcel to all of the tasks of the Levites, where they're going to be doing much more than just simply carrying the Ark. They're going to be carrying the uh, tabernacle. They're going to be carrying the table, the altar. All of these things are going to be taken care of. They're going to be taking care of the uh, screens, the, uh, the cloths, and all those things. And they're also going to be keeping guard and making sure that these things are taken care of and, uh, and guarded. Uh, so he, it, it, again, it's a very, very brief thing, but he is, he summarized what they do. Uh, the standing before the Lord is something that only the Levites would do in first Kings eight. Uh, that's when Solomon dedicates the temple, refinishes building the temple. And then the Lord comes in and fills the temple. And then the priests are not even able to go and stand before the Lord, which is their task. Uh, and then also the blessing of people, uh, you know, the ironic benediction, not the ironic, but although maybe it's ironic, uh, but it's, uh, the ironic benediction, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you, the Lord look with his confidence upon you and give you peace. And that's what God commanded Moses to tell Aaron to say to the people. And so he put his name on the people and that again is a priestly task. All of this. Again, it's just wonderful. Let, let's go ahead. Good. Let's go ahead and take our break there, right there, Pastor Preuss. Let's let's take our break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFL, looking at Deuteronomy chapter 10 with Pastor James Preuss. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, August 19th. We're studying Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 1 to 22 with Pastor James Price. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Price, prior to the break, we were talking about the Levites, which is in that section that's parenthetical in this this text. And we, I think we're about to the point where 
Moses tells the people, or the is written here in Deuteronomy 10, that Levi has no portion or inheritance because the Lord is inheritance is his inheritance. Finish that that bit about the Levites for us. Right. So I, I was just talking about how the Levites are are servants of the Lord. They're servants of the of the tabernacle. Uh, the priests are Levites. All priests are Levites. Not all Levites are priests. Uh, and again, they don't get territory. Although when you read about the land that they do get, because they do get certain cities and pasture lands. I mean, it seems to be pretty extensive. At least it takes a bit to read it all. Uh, but uh, the, the, this again reinforces the point that Moses makes with the covenant being put into the Ark of the Covenant, that the Lord is saying, you are my people. So what what was the first word of the 10 words of the testimony? I am the Lord, your God who brought you out of the house of, of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He's their God. And now what does he do? He takes Aaron, who built the golden calf in the first place, and says, and Aaron is my priest, and his sons after him are my priests, and his tribe will serve me, and I will be their inheritance, and I will take care of them. Uh, so it, again, reinforces that Israel is his people, and the tribe of Levi is his tribe, uh, to serve him. And, uh, and it, so all we're getting is before Moses even says, yes, the Lord has listened to your, to my prayer and he's not going to cast you off. He's made it abundantly clear that no, uh, he is not, la- uh, casting you off and the priestly Levitical service that's being done in your midst is all the more evidence that the Lord is not casting you off. So by the time we get to verse 10, where Moses explicitly says, the Lord listened to me, everything that's been in these first nine verses has been leading to that point. We shouldn't be surprised by that. And any more of the the things that Moses says in verses 10 to 11 to pick up before we move into the, the second half of the text? Uh, no, I, I suppose not. There's a lot to say in the rest of it, but uh, just again, I mean, that the Lord is their God and they are his people. And they're about to go into this land. So just kind of remembering where they are and uh, what their purpose is and uh, and whom they should be trusting as they enter this land. So we pick up again in Deuteronomy 10, now with verse 12. Moses continues, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. 
That is the rest of our text for today. That takes us through the end of Deuteronomy chapter 10. Pastor Preuss, as we get started in this section, it seems that Moses is making a pretty significant move here when he says, and now, O Israel, there, there's a, a transition. What's what's going on? What's the, the move that Moses is making here in, in his sermon? Well, he, I mean, he's been making a an argument toward them. And the conclusion to this argument is that they should trust in the Lord. Um, I mean, we Lutherans will often go after reason and being a rationalist and we're opposed to being a rationalist. Uh, Luther writes a lot against uh, reason as a false god. And, uh, and it's true. I mean, we shouldn't be worshiping our reason. We shouldn't uh, be rationalist, uh, which pretty much means that we, we constantly doubt God's word and uh, things have to be, be understood before we can believe them. That leads to denying, you know, the, the Lord's Supper is Jesus' true body and blood, denying that babies can be saved by baptism, denying that, that Jesus can be both God and man, but denying that the Holy Trinity is, uh, is God. Uh, so rationalism is bad, but God does reason with us. Uh, so he uses, um, logical uh, syllogism. So for example, where in the Bible does it say that Timothy Apple is going to go to heaven? Well, you're not going to be able to find a verse, will you? But you can find a verse that says that God loved the whole world so that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not fear to have a everlasting life. And uh, we know that Timothy Apple believes in Jesus Christ as his savior. So there you have from the Bible using the reason that God's given you, you know, by the Holy Spirit guiding you, uh, assurance that, that Timothy Apple is going to go to heaven, right? So, and this is what all Christians are supposed to do. God reasons with us. Uh, he even says that in Isaiah, let us reason together. So we should be against God's reasoning. We should be against, uh, uh, you know, usurping God's word with human rationales. Uh, and demanded that God explain himself. But Moses has made it abundantly clear. Like what, what is the Lord asking of you? All he's saying is to love him, uh, to, to, to fear him, to walk in his ways, to love him, uh, and to serve him. And this should, this is not a burdensome commandment because look what he has done for you. Um, so, you know, one thing that I've seen is, is people uh, being anxious, but they have a loved one who's anxious. And often the way they'll handle it is what's well, a sin to be anxious. It's a sin to work. Uh, now people kind of talk about it a lot as a, a psychiatric condition, but often people will talk about being, it's a sin to work. Well, it's true. It is a sin to work. You can't deny that it's a sin to work. It is absolutely wrong. It's sinful to work, but how does Jesus handle it? He doesn't say, you know, stop worrying or you're going to go to hell. But rather, he says, you know, look at the, the birds of the air. They neither uh, sow nor reap. They'll gather into barns, yet your uh, heavenly Father feeds them all, right? Uh, aren't you worth much more than, than the birds? That's what Jesus does. He gives us this uh, reason to not worry. Uh, and Moses, this is what he's doing. He's giving us a reason to fear the Lord. Not just simply because he'll cast you into hell or have the earth swallow you up as they saw happen but because he rescued them and he's going to care for them. And he's the one who chose them 
And he is the one who's going to remove these nations from before them. And he's going to uh, make them prosper and make their crops grow and their livestock to reproduce it without mishap and all, and all of these things. Uh, so I mean, it's like, we love because God first loved us. That's a reasonable state, isn't it? Uh, God loved us. So we love him. Uh, and, uh, so it's very, it's very gospel oriented what Moses is, is speaking of here. He's speaking of the Lord and what the Lord has done first. And then he talks about Israel's response to what the Lord has done, what the Lord promises to do. And of course, before all that, who the Lord is. Right. So what a, what a wonderful, like, again, to, to make the point that you did, how Moses sets this up is so wonderful. He's given them this great reason over and over again that they can respond in this way because of who the Lord is, what he's done for them. He's proved himself to them in the past. Surely he will remain true to who he is and what he's promised going forward. So respond in this way, fear the Lord, walk in his ways, love him, serve. I mean, every every which way he can talk about it, he says, this is your response because of who God is. How does how does all of this end up pointing us to, to Christ, even in the book of Deuteronomy? Well, it, it, Jesus is the visible sign of, of God's love. I mean, when we say God is love, well, what do we mean by that? Well, in this is love, but not that we love God, but that he loved us and uh, gave us unto the propitiation for our sin. Um, Jesus is the incarnation of, of love, and uh, which is why the law of Moses does not apply to us, uh, at least not in the way that it applied to, for example, we we aren't forced to rest on the seventh day. Uh, we can eat pork and shellfish. Uh, uh, we aren't bound by, bound by the Passover or any of these other, uh, ceremonies. But even much more than that, I and mean, we're not slaves to the law at all. Even the law of you shall not, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery. You shall have no other gods. Uh, having been born again by the spirit. Uh, and having been joined to Christ Jesus, we want love. You know, uh, our the time of the month that we have in our congregation for this month is Lord, be I love my heart. Beautiful hymn. Uh, it, it, it's a great line. How's it going? Lord, be I love with all my heart. I pray thee ne'er from me depart with tender mercies. Uh, hear me. Earth has no treasure I would share. Yea, heaven itself were void and bare if thou, Lord, were not near. So that is the heart that. Christ Jesus gives them the gospel that what is heaven is heaven, you know, and this is really applicable to what we'll talk about right here because heaven is often, uh, paralleled with the land of Canaan, with the promised land, right? You know, you have, you have a land of milk and honey. You have, uh, hills with copper that you can dig. You have, uh, you have vineyards and you have orchards and, uh, the, the animals aren't having any miscarries and. Uh, you know, you have a lion laying down with a lamb and a kid playing by at patters down all these other things. That's heaven. Well, what is, is that really what heaven's going to be like? Well, I don't know, but what I do know is that Jesus is going to be there. And that's all I care about that. I'm going to be with Jesus. And that's kind of what Moses is doing here. It's like, well, the Lord's going. So that's, that's all that you should care about. 
that we're going to go over that Jordan. Well, what is, what's over there? You know, is it, is it wonderful? Are there big, scary enemies? Or the Lord's going with you and he's going to give it to you. And that's what you, and that's really what you should mean. We should care about. I also want to point out, um, because, uh, Professor Harstead, uh, points this out in, in his commentary, uh, the word for in the ESV and also the King James, what does the Lord require of you? Uh, Harstead plates it as ask. And act, I recognize that, uh, this verb, that it's sha'al or sha'al in this, in this context, but, uh, for acquire because king of Israel, and then God, right? So even that language, I mean, the Lord isn't, he's not even demanding. He's like, well, he's, he is, he's asking a favor of them. It's like, look what I've done for you. It's such a, it's such a, a loving way of speaking to them. It's, it's almost, uh, the, the way, uh, he describes this bird. It's almost as the way Jesus speaks to things the folks, uh, the night in which he was betrayed. Remember how he says, you know, no longer do I call you, uh, what does he say? No longer do I call you disciple, if I call you, uh, uh, you know, it's a, you know, with the, with the teacher and students, you know, he doesn't always tell our master and his, his students, he doesn't always tell them what he's good, but friends, a, a friend tells his friends what he's doing. I've told you what, what, where I'm going and what I'm doing. And, uh, so he's, he's speaking in a, in a way, I mean, he, he doesn't, Make, let you forget the fact that he's the Lord God of heaven and earth, uh, God of gods, Lord of Lord. At the same time, he's using a vocabulary that is uh, as unintimidating as an almighty being can be when talking to mortal sinners. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. That that's a very helpful comment to point out because the the English verb require maybe doesn't doesn't have that same connotation as what you're saying. So I appreciate you pointing out the the tone that really is there, the the love of God as He speaks. Another interesting note on vocabulary, I think, is in verse 16, where Moses tells the people to circumcise the foreskin of their heart, which is a a strange way of speaking. Perhaps. What does that mean to, to circumcise the foreskin? Of so circumcision is uh, that sign of the covenant that God did with Abraham, where they cut off the the, the foreskin of all the young males, uh, and uh, this is an outward sign. And of course, we're very familiar with it as Christians because of the way Saint Paul talks about it in a number of places in his epistles. You know, how, uh, and, uh, how the, the Judaizers were trying to force, uh, certain people to be, uh, to be circumcised, especially, uh, the non-Jews who were becoming Christians, they said, oh, they have to be, be circumcised. And Paul points out, well, you know, circumcision is nothing. Uh, you have to have a circumcision of the, of the heart. So circumcision is a sign of God's grace. But the outward sign doesn't actually do anything for you if your heart is not circumcised. And what St. Paul does with this language of circumcision is he uh, goes even further. It's not just a cutting off of a little bit of flesh, but it's a cutting off of the entire body of sin. So uh, circumcision is used in this metaphorical sense. In Leviticus 26, for example, he talks, he uh, juxtaposes uh, circumcision of the heart and being humble. 
Uh, and the way St. Paul speaks of it, it is really of being born again, which is an interesting thing to say. Uh, I mean, this is the Old Testament, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit hasn't come upon the people at Pentecost. Um, and, uh, you know, God, Jesus hasn't given the promise of the Holy Spirit. Yet the Holy Spirit's still God and God is still God. It's the same God in the Old Testament is, as he is in the New Testament, right? And uh, you're saved in the Old Testament the same way you're saved in the New Testament. It's through faith. Uh, so, so it's interesting that he says uh, you, that circumcise the foreskin of your heart. I think this is as close as, uh, as you can get to, to what Jesus says to Nicodemus. Unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of, of God. Uh, you must be born again is what he's saying. You must repent of your sins, repent of your unbelief, uh, uh, which, which he makes very clear in Deuteronomy over, not because you are the greatest or the I don't do by my own grace. Uh, but it really does emphasize that all of these outward commandments that you're given and that he's going doesn't matter if you don't have the, the foreskin of your heart circumcised, meaning if you do not have a humble heart that trusts in the Lord and acknowledges that he is the one who uh, led you out of Egypt, out of the house of slave. Hmm. From that verse of, about circumcising your heart, then the Lord reminds the people again who he is. He's, he is God of gods, Lord of lords, great, mighty, awesome, not partial. What What does Moses say about who God is? Why is that important for the people of Israel at this point? Well, first, that he's not just some territorial God. Uh, what did Egypt have? They had gods of the night. And then people, they're going to, uh, they go into the land of Canaan, and they're going to have their hill gods, they're going to have their cloud gods, their storm gods, their bales and their ash. Uh, and, uh, and they very much think, oh, you, you probably remember how when Assyria takes Israel out of Israel, and they place other people there, and then they get devoured by lions, they say, oh, well, it's because they have... Uh, they have uh, hill gods there. We need you to send. Uh, we need to send a priest there to teach how to worship the, the hill god, right? Or you have like the king of Syria is uh, attacking, uh, and that he's attacking Ahab and Lucius. Oh, because they have uh, hill gods. We'll go and fight them on the plank and they them. God's not a god like that. He is God of gods. He is the same God in Egypt as he is in Canaan, and he's the same God everywhere. So you can't get around that. Uh, he's all powerful but also who's not partial and takes no bribe. They're not going to be able to trick him. They're not going to be able to manipulate him the way other people think uh, they can manipulate God. So remember Balaam, uh, the son of, uh, of uh, Maor, uh, who, who kept on trying to prophesy uh, for um, uh, the king of Moab. And uh, he said, well, go and try to curse him over there. And God blesses him. So we'll all try to curse him over here. He's trying to manipulate. God can't feel it. He's not partial. He is fair. He deals with equity. Uh, he deals with his own kindness. Uh, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner. Again, uh, we love because God first loved us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, uh, Forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. 
all of these New Testament passages uh, is pretty much what he is emphasizing here. That God is gracious to you. He helps the fatherless, helpless. He helps the sojourners as you were sojourners and still are until you establish your land. So I want you to be kind to others. So you also have here this bridge between the first table of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, small mind. Why? Well, because he loved you and cared for you and, and still does. And the second table, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, as God loved you and is kind to you and patient to you and looked over your faults, so you should be looking over the faults of being kind to others. Look, look at those who are in and help them. We got about four minutes here on the morning, Pastor Preuss. We got a, just a couple verses here at the end, particularly at verse 22, where Moses says, remember, your fathers went down as 70 persons. Now you're this big. Uh, take us into the, the end of the text and help us to, to wrap it up this morning. Give us the, the good news of, of this pericope, this chapter from Deuteronomy 10. Right. So uh, this is a history that the people of Israel should know. And I think all, all, all Christians should know. Uh, as well, that there were 70 persons who went down uh, into Egypt. If you remember how that happened, Joseph was sold into slavery. His brothers think he's dead. His son, his dad thinks he's dead. Uh, but he ends up becoming the ruler of Egypt after spending a stint in prison. Uh, and uh, God uses Joseph to rescue Egypt and the surrounding areas from a great famine uh, by having him save up for seven good years. And then, uh, when the famine does hit, his brothers come to buy grain, and he and ends up being the, the ruler of Egypt, and people, they bring them all in. And then it's in Egypt where they uh, grow and become a mighty nation, but they do end up in slavery. And then God brings them out out of slavery, not as 70 individuals, but as a great nation, as numerous as stars of heaven. And every Christian and every Jew, every, every uh, Israelite, and they hear that, as the stars of heaven, should immediately be thinking of Genesis 15, 5, where God tells Abraham, look out into the sky, look out into the sky, and the number of the stars, if he's eight, says, so shall your offspring be. And the, uh, Abraham believed the Lord and was constantly righteous. I think that's a huge connection for us tonight. How does he close up this chapter? I know the chapter divisions are artificial, but how does he kind of like, you know, end this, uh, this little section of this discussion is by bringing it back to God's promise. You guys were nothing. You were a, you were a family uh, shepherd went into a rich nation were made into slaves and God turned you into a great nation because that's what he promised he would do. And that's what you must continue to do is to trust in his promise. As long as you trust in his promise, uh, then you are going to follow the right track. But it's always unbelief that leads them to go and, and break God's commands and to break his, his law. Uh, so the, the summary of this pericope, uh, really, it, it goes down to God's graciousness. Uh, we ended the last pericope with Israel's incredible sin and Moses interceding for them. And this whole chapter is talking about God being gracious to his people, being faithful to them, even when they're unfaithful. And then Moses using this as a way to convince the people of Israel for them to be faithful. Uh, fear the Lord your God. Well, why should you fear him? Well, because look what he's doing. He hasn't cast you off. Walk in his ways. Well, you should desire to walk in his ways because, uh, because he's the one who has rescued you uh, from all of your trouble. 
love the Lord your God. Well, he loved you first. Of course you should uh, love him and to serve him. Well, he served you. I mean, you didn't divide the Red Sea. You didn't conquer the wilderness. And you're not going to cast out these people, but the, the Lord will. Uh, so I think this builds a great connection between us and the people of Israel. Uh, we have the same God who's gracious to us. I think it also teaches us how we should be faithful. Look at what God promises and what he's done for us in Christ Jesus. And that is where we have the motivation and the ability to live lives uh, pleasing to, to God. Uh, I guess I'd close with Romans 12, uh, verse 1, where St. Paul, where, where Paul says, uh, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God is merciful, and for that reason, we should present ourselves as uh, living sacrifices. Pastor James Preuss is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa, helping us today with Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 1 to 22. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. God has loved us. We love him in return. He has given us all reason to trust, to fear, to follow him. God grant that he enable us to do us by the power of his Holy Spirit. God grant that he enable us to do so by the power of his Holy Spirit. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.